Hey, what's up, you guys, and welcome back to the Televised Podcast. My name is Anna, and today I want to talk about Supercorp. I know, I know, most people either tune out or tune in when they hear the word, but I genuinely want to make the case today for why people are so obsessed and upset about Supercorp, and how this might be one of the most insane queerbaiting cases I've ever seen. During this episode, I'll be first talking about the representation on the CW in general, parallels with other canon couples on Supergirl and the CW, then Clois parallels, romantic tropes, Supercorp in the media, and finally, my conclusive thoughts. I believe that it is extremely important to bring this up now, seeing as the show is ending, and they can truly make history if they were to pursue Supercorp and leave a lasting legacy. First of all, let's talk about the CW. The CW has a bad rap amongst LGBT people, usually, due to everything that happened with Lexa and her death, but I feel really good about the CW. I've made episodes in the past praising the CW for their, for their representation, and how they've gone from the network that killed Lexa to the number one network in broadcast television for LGBT representation two years in a row. I genuinely respect their work in making television more inclusive, and I think they've been great. But I also think they still have room to improve. Out of all their series regular characters, 15.4% of those characters are LGBT on the CW, according to GLAD's Where We Are on TV report for the 2019-2020 season. If you want to think about it in terms of how many there actually are, it's about one, maybe two per show. Coincidentally, the less popular a show is, the more LGBT characters they seem to be able to get away with. Kind of funny how that works, huh? (laughs) Either way, it's awesome that they have all these LGBT characters, but most of them are side characters. According to the CW's 2019-2020 fall and spring lineup, they ran 16 scripted shows last season. Of those 16 shows, only five of them had an LGBT character as the lead character. To figure this out, I looked at each show and, based on the title or style of the show, gave it a yes or no based on who the lead character is. I came up with Batwoman, whose Kate Kane was groundbreaking, Charmed, which is an ensemble show and markets itself as such, and one of the three mains is LGBT, Legends of Tomorrow, which either argued as an ensemble or as Sarah being the lead passes, Roswell, New Mexico, which again is an ensemble, and The Hundred which could either be counted as Clark being the lead or as an ensemble. Out of these shows, one is leaving the air, The Hundred. And of the shows the CW is adding for their 2021 season, Walker and Superman and Lois, neither of those shows make up the loss. This is where Supergirl could change everything. They could not only be the first CW show to have exactly half of their series regular characters be LGBT, a feat not even Legends has achieved, but they could fill in that extra slot by making Supergirl, the main character, LGBT. Despite the series coming to an end with this final season, it would fill in the blank for their 2021 season. If they did make both Kara and Lena LGBT on the show, that would mean there would be five series regulars who are LGBT. Each of those characters currently being Alex, Nia, and Kelly. Then there would still be five other characters who are straight, Andrea, Eve, Jean, Brainy, and William. This could be revolutionary when it comes to having a group of LGBT characters on your show, especially since this is so very rare even on the CW. 
And despite this sixth season being the last, it could truly revolutionize LGBT representation. Especially because at this point, what do they have to lose? Which brings me back to the point I was making about the CW doing better about their LGBT characters and why I even brought up the main character point in the first place. On the CW, most of their LGBT characters that I can think of are either series regulars but not the main character, obviously unless otherwise mentioned, or they are background recurring characters, which unfortunately sends a message to the LGBT audiences that our stories aren't worthy enough to be the main story. When all these characters are just in the background, or not even fully involved in main plots sometimes, I'm looking at you, Riverdale, it is discouraging for LGBT viewers who hardly see themselves on screen as it is, and it pushes the idea that to keep these shows still safe and accessible for non-LGBT audiences, that the lead should remain straight, otherwise it's too woke or pandering. And sometimes this is to the detriment of the show itself. For example, Nancy Drew, which was one of my favorite shows of the 2019-2020 season, has Bess as their LGBT series regular character, but her girlfriend is always forced to the background or doesn't show up for episodes at a time. This, to the audience, makes it feel like her relationship isn't as important as Nancy's or George's because their relationship trouble is always on screen because everyone involved is a series regular character. In order to make the show work better and to make their LGBT rep better, they should give Bess a love interest who will actually show up on the show and, and constantly be part of the story in the main cast. The same thing goes for Riverdale, whose LGBT representation in Cheryl and Tony is only seen every once in a while and almost always in the background. Tony has never had a backstory and barely has any screen time. Meanwhile, Cheryl isn't a part of the core four of the show, so she is as well is often de delegated to the background or off doing a storyline of her own, the B or even C plot of an episode. Also on Riverdale, Kevin Keller presents as an issue, seeing as he is treated relatively the same way. In each season, he is molded to fit whatever role they need him to play, whether it be a farmy in season 3, or even just a gay best friend in season 1. Fangs is the exact same way, they molded him to fit any story they needed him for, and even put him with Kevin during season 3 when they came connected by the farm. Joaquin, who was another love interest of Kevin's, was killed on the show during season two. After little to no storyline that had much relevance up until his final moments, his death didn't hold the weight it deserved, and his mistreatment as a character was obvious. Okay, so now that you've heard my little speech about the CW and the state of their representation, you're probably wondering why people want Supercorp to be romantic in the first place. Can't people just appreciate female friendships? Yes, I totally can, and do, but not every female friendship has this many parallels to other canon couples in other shows as well as their own, or has as many romantically coded moments. Speaking of these romantically coded moments and relations to other canon couples, let's talk about the similarities between Supercorp and other couples on Supergirl. This will be a discussion of scenes that are so similar between Supercorp and these other canon couples that it becomes a double standard. This double standard is frustrating to fans, seeing as the scenario is romantic for one couple, but platonic for Supercorp, despite being the exact same romantic situation. This calls into question whether it is simply because Supercorp are two women, or if the double standard stems from something a bit more harmful. Queerbait. This section pulls from every season and many different couples, so I'll try to keep it as organized as possible. Let's start with Brainy and Nia. 
They started dating in season four of the show and have been an on and off couple throughout their whole time on the show so far. During season five especially, there were many similarities between their relationship and Supercorp. First, let's start with a scene from 502. Nia receives breakfast in bed from Brainy, and later at work, her desk is covered in food for lunch. Kara notices that Nia is basically drowning in takeout boxes and asks who it's from. Nia tells her it's all from Brainy, and Kara says, Maybe giving food is Brainy's language of love. Then, in episode three of the same season, Kara flies to Dublin, Milan, and Paris to get Lena's favorite food for lunch. In the show, they established in the episode before that food is a romantic gesture and also a language of love. And then in the very next episode, they have Kara get food for Lena. They set a precedent with that Brainia scene so that we have to take Kara doing that for Lena as romantic. It's also something Kara offered to do for her first date with James back when they, were, when they tried dating. Food is a thing I'm going to bring up later, so keep this in mind. The most compelling direct comparison for me is from Doomworld within the 100th episode. During that alternate reality, Lena is Metallo and an evil dictator over National City, and her goons are Rain and Brainy. During the sequence, Nia tries to reach out to Brainy by saying, Brainy, it's me. It's Nia. To try to break him out of his evil programming. Kara, as she's entering Catco, calls out for Lena and says, Lena? It's me. It's Kara. Both evil versions of Brainy and Lena don't respond to Nia or Kara's pleas, and eventually they both attack. This shows both Nia and Kara's unwavering belief in both Brainy and Lena, despite them both clearly being a lost cause. This double standard of having the exact same interaction with identical dialogue is extremely frustrating, seeing as Nia's emotional appeal to Brainy is seen as heartbreakingly romantic. Meanwhile, Kara's pleas to Lena is apparently meant to be platonic, even though Kara's scene with Lena holds more depth and sorrow, considering it was Kara's absence in her life that caused Lena to become Metallo in the first place. In fact, during the whole fifth season, Brainy and Leah are narrative parallels. During this season, they both work with Lex, despite their better judgment, and to the disappointment of Nia and Kara. Because of this, Kara reaches out to Lena during the 100th episode and gives Lena an ultimatum, saying that she will treat her just like I would any other villain if she doesn't stop working with Lex. Nia gives Brainy the same ultimatum five episodes later by saying, If you can't pick a side, I'll choose one for you. By using almost identical storytelling and situations with one of the most prominent canon couples on the show and relating their relationship so closely to Kara and Lena's, the writers are putting these two relationships on equal grounds. They're saying that they hold the same weight in the show, and they also share the same emotional weight between each pair of characters. And if not even more weight with Kara and Lena, because Supergirl is the titular character, and the season was blatantly advertised as being about Kara and Lena's relationship. These similarities aren't even exclusive to Brainy and Nia, though they were the most prominent connection during the fifth season, with their storylines pretty much running exactly the same way. There were many other connections made to previous canon couples and a blossoming relationship they were trying to push. During Season 5, Episode 8, Kara and Lena are seen both looking at a picture of the two of them together with a terribly sad song playing in the background. We'll talk about the song later, don't worry. This scene is not only a direct repeat of her looking at a photo booth photo of her and Monel during the Season 3 premiere, but the emotions during the scene match up as well. During that scene, she was mourning the loss of a canon romantic relationship she shared with Monel. 
which implies that when she does this with Lena, she's mourning a canon romantic relationship as well. Also, during that exact scene in 508, it's intercut with shots of Andrea mourning her canon romantic relationship with Russell as she watches their memories in VR. Why is it that the scene of Andrea mourning her relationship with Russell is seen as canon romance, yet Kara and Lena mourning their relationship isn't? I probably should have included these next two scenes in the Clois section, but both of these scenes took place on Supergirl, so it just felt a little closer to home for me. One was from Crisis Part 1, where Clark, while having a heart-to-heart with Kara, admits that he truly had it all with Lois and their baby on Argo, and how he feels now that he was foolish for thinking that I could have so much. Kara then says she's been feeling that way lately too, which means that Kara is directly relating her relationship and her issues with Lena to Clark's relationship with Lois and his feelings of wanting to have it all. Kara had to be talking about Lena in that moment since all other relationships in her life were totally fine. Alex's memory was back, Jean and her were on good terms, Nia and Brainy and her were on good terms. The only person she had a rocky relationship with at the time was Lena. So for her to compare Lena to Clark's relationship with his wife can only be seen as romantic or just another nonsensical double standard. The next instance comes from 222. When Clark confesses to Kara, I'd like to think that if it came down to a choice between Lois and the world, but I don't think I could. Kara ends up sending Monel away in that episode, sacrificing her canon love interest to save the world. Later, during 305, Kara is unwilling to drop Lena to save National City. In one instance, Kara gave up her canon love interest and willingly filled the Earth's atmosphere with a substance that could kill him. Meanwhile, she refused to drop Lena, which put every citizen in National City at risk of having a poisoned water supply. In the show, Kara has always put National City first, except when it comes to Lena. In fact, Kara actively refuses to give up Lena in that episode, even figuring out a way she could save the chemicals and Lena by telling her to climb. Kara had to make a hard choice to let Monel go, but she refused to make that choice for Lena. That is undeniably romantic. The next parallel shows the difference between her relationship with Alex versus her relationship with Lena. During 120, the season 1 finale, Alex is under the influence of Kara's uncle Nan and is heavily armed with kryptonite swords and full body armor filled with kryptonite. Kara realizes that she has to fight Alex, and so she does. She fights her sister while she's in possession of enough kryptonite to kill her. During the 100th episode, Lena had literally become Metallo in an alternate universe. She had a rock in her chest that could kill Kara. It wasn't even just a sword or removable armor. Lena had become a weapon to kill Kara. Yet during that episode, Kara couldn't bring herself to fight Lena. She couldn't do it. She just laid there and took the kryptonite beam, willing to die rather than fight her, despite the fact that Metallo Lena wasn't even Kara's real Lena. This exact situation was also seen in the most recent season of The Flash, where an evil version of Iris, Mere Iris, attacked Barry. He also said that he wouldn't fight her, and he took plenty of hits to avoid hurting Mere Iris, fully knowing that that wasn't really his wife. But Barry has fought Killer Frost before, similar to how Kara fought brainwashed Alex. I won't fight you seems to be reserved for love interests only. As I mentioned before, having all of these instances where Kara and Lena's relationship is directly related to other canon couples on the show, either by the show or by the characters themselves, 
or where Kara treats Lena even better than she ever did her canon love interests, it sends a message to viewers. Especially for a show like Supergirl, where every superfan has seen every episode at least twice. Callbacks and parallels and differences of treatment are very obvious, and the audience picks up on it all. The double standard between these heterosexual couples within Supergirl and the Arrowverse at large and Supercorp beg an important question. Is it all an intentional slow burn or queer bait? Only the Supergirl staff can answer that question with the final season this year, but for now, without canon Supercorp, this is why most fans consider Supercorp to be queerbait. Now that we've talked about other canon couples within Supergirl and the Arrowverse as a whole, let's talk about Clois, which is the relationship between Clark Kent and Lois Lane. They've been a staple of superhero and love interest dynamic duos since they first hit the pages of DC Comics in the Silver Age of the 60s. They've been a couple on the big screen in every iteration of the Superman story, which is just so, so many. <laughs> Before we actually talk about specific parallels between Clois and Supercorp, let's talk about parallels in general. Parallels are a storytelling device used to draw a direct comparison or connection between two different events, characters, or plot points. Parallels can be drawing comparisons between two different books, movies, shows, or happen within the same story. A great example that most people will know is how the Galactic Empire from Star Wars is a direct parallel to Nazi Germany. As reported on History.com, quote, The Imperial officers' uniforms and even Darth Vader's helmet resemble those worn by German army members in World War II, end quote. By using those specific designs, and especially the actions taken by the Galactic Empire, the audience is able to make the connection between the two. It helps to further the tone that Star Wars was trying to create by instilling a fear or uneasiness within the audience subconsciously. Then, once the audience fully makes the connection to the chilling similarities to Nazi Germany, the Galactic Empire is an even more menacing villain than, than they could have ever imagined. So when talking about Clovis versus Supercorp, Mirroring these scenes invokes a feeling within the audience. Since Clark and Lois have been such an iconic couple for so long, when Supercorp have scenes directly copying them, it implies the same romantic tone, and the audience is able to see it. When speaking about these parallels I'm about to mention, whether it be with Clois, Brainia, Caramel, or even other canon couples from DC TV or pop culture, it's that these are precise, replicated scenes. There's no splitting hairs here. Most of these are shot for shot or word for word. First of all, let's talk about Superman, 1978. This is Christopher Reeve's first Superman movie, and it's a damn good one, too. Filled to the brim with cheesy jokes, silly costumes, and of course, romance between Clark and Lois. There's a scene in the film where Clark and Lois are in an alleyway when a robber approaches them. Clark ends up pretending to pass out after catching a bullet from the robber's gun to distract from his slip of powers in front of Lois. Lois shouts Clark as he's lying on the ground, and as he comes to, she asks him What happened? Clark, glasses askew and stuttering, says I guess I must have fainted. This scene is then directly paralleled in the season 4 episode of Supergirl titled Will the Real Miss Tessmacher Please Stand Up? It's the 20th episode of the season, and Kara and Lena are on a flight to Kaznia on Lena's private jet that flies itself. During the flight, the plane is attacked by lightning, so Lena jumps into the pilot's seat to manually get them back on track. Kara ends up using Lena leaving as a way to escape and use her powers outside the plane to lift it up, which ultimately ends up leveling them out again. 
Kara sits back in her chair, slumped over, with her glasses askew. Lena rushes over, shouting, Kara! And as she comes to, asks, Are you okay? Kara, fixing her glasses and looking shaken, I must have passed out. Natalie Abrams, one of the writers of 420, explicitly said on Twitter that she used Clovis as an inspiration for this Supercorp scene. Another parallel from the Superman movie from 1978 is the balcony scene. During the film, Superman comes to visit Lois as she's sitting on her balcony, and they end up having a conversation. The interesting thing, though, is that the shots from this scene are exactly like the shots from the Season 5 episode titled Blurred Lines. In Episode 3 of Season 5, Supergirl comes to Kara's apartment to drop off Lex's diaries that she swiped from a vault for her. We see Lena sitting inside her apartment, and although she isn't directly on her balcony, the shot is still the exact same. Then we see Kara looking at her from a distance before she flies up and they have a conversation. A direct parallel from the movie to the show. The parallels aren't limited to only movies, as these next examples prove. From the TV show Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, a few parallels arise. One is from Season 2, Episode 21 of Lois and Clark, where Lois says that they are partners and best friends. The phrase partners comes up during the 100th episode in regards to Kara and Lena during the 3rd AU, and obviously best friends has been used many times by both Kara and Lena. We'll talk more about the implications of best friends and partners as a romantic trope later. Also in Lois and Clark, I couldn't find the particular episode, but Lois refers to Clark as her brother. She said that she loves him like a brother and says that he's got a family who loves him, which is almost identical to when Kara told Lena that her and Sam are a family who cares about her and that they were like sisters in episode 5 of season 3. The television parallels don't end there. Arguably, the most iconic version of Clark and Lois comes from the WB show Smallville. In that version, Clark and Lois didn't meet until later in the series, but it became clear as soon as they met that they would be endgame. The most parallels come from Smallville, so let's go through them. The first comes from episode 8 of season 9 of Smallville, where Lois is hanging off of a building, and she asks Clark to let her go. He simply responds, that's insane, Lois. Lois is willing to sacrifice herself in that moment so that Clark can go off and save the day, but he refuses. This is then paralleled by Supergirl 305 when Kara refuses to drop one half of a plane that had Lena in it. Lena yells, let me go, exactly like Lois, and Kara says, no. Kara then tells Lena to climb and jump and ends up saving both her and the chemicals that were making children sick. Kara refuses to save all the children in National City because she simply can't let Lena go, just as I mentioned before. The next parallel is from Smallville, episode 9 of season 9. Lois is being held captive by Zod and Clark offers his own life for hers. Let her go. Take my life, let her live! He was willing to sacrifice himself to save Lois. This happens in Supergirl during the 17th episode of season 3. In this episode, Kara, Lena, and Alex are in a dreamscape to find Sam and save her from rain. In this reality, Kara, though she is dressed as Supergirl, doesn't have her powers. When Lena is picked up by rain in a chokehold, Kara offers herself for Lena. Take me! Take me instead, please! Kara was willing to hand herself, powerless, over to rain. Mind you, this was after Kara was beaten to the brink of death by that same villain. Then, in Smallville, 9-10, Clark makes a threat to Zod, saying, You go near Lois again, I will destroy you all. The idea of threatening a villain over your L-named soulmate comes into play on Supergirl when Kara threatens Rhea during the 20th episode of Season 2. She says on the phone to Monel's mom, If you've done anything to Lena, I- When she gets cut off. 
we can only assume the threats she was going to make over her best friend. During the fifth episode of season eight of Smallville, Clark and Lois are kidnapped. Clark is strapped to a chair and being tortured. Lois shouts, Just don't hurt him again! A powerless human insisting that a super not be hurt. During the season two episode Luther's, episode 12, Lena does the same thing. Car is hurt by a device Lillian throws at her, and Lena, a powerless human, lunges and screams, Don't hurt her! About an unfathomably powerful Kryptonian. That's something Kara's own canon love interest wouldn't do. Monel stood by on Slaver's Moon while a powerless Kara took all the hits and defended the humans. I think for me, this next parallel is what makes me still hold on to hope for Supercorp. This is a situation that shows up in both Superman 1978, Smallville, and Supergirl. In Superman, Lois gets into a helicopter to go somewhere to cover a story. The helicopter then has a malfunction and starts to crash and spin out of control as, it, as it's leaving the landing. Superman saves Lois for the first time during the scene. He grabs her and holds her in his arms as he descends to the ground. On Smallville, the helicopter rescue comes during 10.04 where Lois is going up in a helicopter and then it starts to malfunction just above the landing. Clark, not dressed as Superman, risks his identity to save Lois, which is another thing that happened on Supergirl. 312. As for helicopter rescues on Supergirl, the very first time Supergirl meets Lena Luthor is when she and Superman are rescuing her from a, a malfunctioning helicopter just above the landing. Kara rescues Lena by pulling the helicopter down from the sky and depositing it safely on the ground. By doing this, they establish that Lena is in fact Kara's Lois Lane. There are also similarities in how Kara and Lena are dressed. On Smallville, Lois and Clark were often seen in a red-blue color scheme, with one wearing blue and the other wearing red, especially in promotional material. On Supergirl, this red-blue color scheme has also affected Kara and Lena, with them often wearing red and blue when they have scenes together. Another instance of a wardrobe clue is when Lena wore a white button-up with a black vest over it. This exact look has been seen many different versions of Lois, including Man of Steel, Lois and Clark, Smallville, and Superman Returns. As you can see, with the amount of times the writers of Supergirl have used scenes exactly as they have been for Clark and Lois but with Lena and Kara, there is an implication of romance, or at least that the relationship between Kara and Lena is similar to that of Clark and Lois. If the writers have no intention of furthering the relationship between Kara and Lena, then these parallels are bait. They're using scenes of a canon couple, a pillar of the super mythos, to create a connection to Kara and Lena, and it creates expectations from the audience. Especially if for one couple these actions can be seen as romantic, while for another it's just platonic. The double standard is very clear here. Besides all the parallels to canon couples or to Clovis, there are many romantic tropes used with Supercorp. Technically, all of the parallels could be boiled down to these romantic tropes because that's basically what, them, what makes them parallel in the first place. Them using romantic tropes on their canon couples and then again on Supercorp but expecting a different response. These romantic tropes are very base level and are used in the show with different couples as well as Supercorp or used on other shows with different couples. The first is when Lena filled Kara's entire office with flowers. After Supergirl told Lena that Kara was the one who sent to her to save her from Lillian, Lena took it upon herself to thank Kara by filling her entire office at CatCo with flowers. That happened in 2.12, and literally one episode later, in 2.13, Mixie filled Kara's entire apartment with flowers, and it was meant to be a romantic gesture. 
It's so interesting how Supergirl sets up these romantic moments either in the episode before or after that exact situation happens with Supercorp. Now we're back to food. I told you it would come up again, and this time we're going back to 310. Lena brought Kara soup when she heard that she was ill, except she doesn't know the Kara she's talking to is actually Jean. Despite that fact, Lena still brought Kara food, which the show has established many times is a romantic gesture, especially when you compare it to William in episode 16 of season 5 showing up to Kara's apartment randomly with cookies. Based on the looks Kelly and Alex exchanged during that moment, it was meant to be romantic and have implications for their relationship in the future. Kara and Lena have exchanged food many times, first when Kara brought donuts in 212, then in 302 with Big Belly Burger, and many times since, but it's considered not romantic. Other times when food is exchanged, say with Brainy and Nia, William and Kara, Kelly and Alex, then it's romantic. The writers of Supergirl don't just get to decide when a gesture is romantic or not, especially since it's almost exclusively used between canon couples. Now let's talk about when Kara lashed out at Alex during 301. At the time, she was so torn up about Monel that she was hardly functioning as Kara Danvers and hiding behind Supergirl. She says that if Alex had lost Maggie, she would always be at the bar and be broken. Later, during season 5, Kara says that she understands people who go into VR to deal with their issues, as Alex directly asks if Kara was talking about Lena in that moment. Here we see Kara saying that Alex would be absolutely broken if she'd lost Maggie, and saying she would depend on substances to get her through that time. Later, she then says she sees the appeal of using those substances after losing Lena. And in this instance, drinking and VR are equals here, which was kind of evidenced by Season 5's messaging. Let's also remember that the one person who pulled Kara out of her Monel induced slump at the beginning of Season 3 was Lena. Now let's talk about that song I mentioned earlier. It's called Head Above Water by Olive James, and honestly, the song itself isn't super romantic. It's more about surviving hard times or heartbreak. The song was not only used while Andrea was reminiscing about her canon romantic relationship with Russell, but it was also used on Batwoman during season one. During episode 16, Kate and Julia Pennyworth kiss while this song is playing. The fact that this song was not only played while a woman was in VR to mourn her canon lover, but also during an actual kiss between two people who used to be lovers and were just looking for comfort from the other has implications of Supercourt during that scene. If both of these couples were either mourning a lost relationship or using an old relationship to find comfort, then what did they truly mean for Kara and Lena's relationship and what they were feeling while they were each looking at a picture of the two of them together? On other shows in the DC Universe, there have been many times where other flagship couples have paralleled Supercorp and used similar romantic tropes. This scene, which comes from Crisis on Earth X Part 4, which was Legends of Tomorrow Episode 308, sees Iris West repeating almost verbatim something that Lena has said to Kara before in her own wedding vows. In her vows, Iris says, The Flash may be the city's hero, but you, Barry Allen, you're my hero. Sound familiar? During the Season 2 episode titled Luther's, Lena says, Well, Supergirl may have saved me, but... And just keep in mind that the West Allen wedding vows came after that was said on Supergirl, by a whole season. While we're talking about West Allen, we might as well talk about everyone's favorite talking point when it comes to Supercorp, that they're best friends. 
The best friend trope is actually a romantic trope that comes up quite often in television, especially on shows where the whole story is based around the will-they-won't-they they idea. I also refer to it as the partner's trope, since in most shows, that phrase is used interchangeably with best friends. During season one of The Flash, while Barry and Iris are tiptoeing around each other, Iris refers to Barry as her brother, and Barry says that Iris is his best friend. Also in other shows, like Castle, for instance, Castle and Beckett go back and forth with each other, calling the other their partner. The same thing happens in Lucifer. While Chloe is dating Pierce during season three, Lucifer insists that his jealousy is only because he and Chloe are partners and best friends, and he doesn't want anyone to get between the partnership they have. On Riverdale, Archie and Betty also insist that they're best friends, but it is later revealed on the show that they both had feelings for each other for years. Even on Supergirl, Nia says that her relationship with Brainy wasn't just a relationship, that they were partners, which draws another connection as well to Brainy and Nia's relationship during season 5. The idea of partners becomes more provocative with its usage in one of the hundredth they use, when Supercorp literally called themselves partners and neither of their canon boyfriends were around. Thus, Kara and Lena revealing that they've actually had feelings for the other for years wouldn't come out of nowhere, seeing as this trope has been used on television for decades, and it's something audiences have grown accustomed to for heterosexual pairings, just not for two women, hence the double standard. Another staple of romantic tropes, especially within the DC universe, is the classic bridal carry. This trope has been used with Clovis in Man of Steel, Smallville, and crossovers, and Elicity and many other couples. Supercorp over the years have had their fair share of bridal carry moments, with some being implied and others being blatant. The ones we actually fully see on screen include 215, 312, and 507. Now you might be thinking, but Anna, Kelly has been carried like that by Kara. Was that romantic? Huh? I see your point. Uh, but I will point out that the hand placement between the two carries is different. Kara holds her hands much closer to Lena's waist during the season 5 bridal carry, and Lena grips her arms around Kara's neck. During the bridal carry with Kelly, Kara keeps her hands up by her shoulders, and Kelly keeps her arms at her sides. The body language shows the clear difference between the two, and that was the only instance where Kara carried someone bridal style that wasn't Lena. Even when she caught Alex during season two and other times in the show, she's always carried her at her side while she flew. Another trope I wanted to briefly mention is the Romeo and Juliet trope the writers on Supergirl use frequently. They've used it with nearly every couple the show has ever created, with only a few exceptions. For example, in the second season, Cara and Monel were the epitome of Romeo and Juliet. Hell, the show even had Monel read the play in canon. They were two people from warring worlds and families that ultimately overcame their differences and loved each other despite the odds. Though their relationship wasn't ultimately very healthy, as pointed out by Kara in season 3, but still it was a good example of this trope in action by the Supergirl writers. Another example is that of Jean and Magan, who have been a mostly implicatory couple on the show since season 2. Magan is a white Martian, Jean's a green Martian species, mortal enemy, and yet they learned to love and ultimately brought their entire peoples together because of it. Wynn and Lyra were a product of that trope as well, a human dating an alien during the turbulent political times of season 2 definitely counts. Kara and Lena could be the ultimate example of this trope, I mean, who would have believed it? Luther and a super working together. 
They could define a couple that overcame hate from both sides to unite and become a force for good together, which is what Supergirl's overall message truly is anyway. The show's focus on coming together despite people's differences to battle for good together remains the core of the show. So having Supercord be the main couple would drive that point home even further and establish the importance of it in every aspect. This last point isn't exactly a trope, but it's an observation. For the rest of the Arrowverse shows, the endgame for each love interest is introduced in either the first or second season. For Arrow, Felicity is introduced in season one. For The Flash, Iris is there from the very beginning. For Legends of Tomorrow, Sarah is introduced to Ava during season two. This allows the show's relationships to have depth and history and to become couples the audience can grow to care about from the very beginning. For Kara, there are truly only three contenders for this title. Either James, who has left the show, Monel, who has also left the show, or Lena, who has been a staple of the show since the second season. For most Supergirl viewers, the introduction of William in the fifth season came as a huge shock, especially since they were trying to force an original character into being Kara's potential endgame. Even if they were able to do some kind of slow burn with William and Kara, the audience isn't invested, and the relationship will come off as rushed and shallow, since this character isn't truly sewn into the fabric of the show and can't possibly be forced in because he's not been there through all the past seasons. Especially now that the sixth season will be the last, William being Kara's endgame after only just being introduced the season before, and with them only having gone on one date just doesn't bode well for a content audience. Even if you aren't a person who ships Supercorp, that wouldn't be a satisfying ending for our heroine. And, by the way, anyone wanting Monel to come back and have Kara and Monel whisk off to the future together hasn't truly been paying attention to the show. Kara would never leave Alex, Nia, Brainy, Lena, Jean, and her whole life on Earth in the present behind to run away with some man to the future. Especially a man who, as I mentioned earlier, she pointed out that her relationship with was not the healthiest. That concludes my section of on-screen tropes and parallels and moments that make the case for Supercorp, or at least explain the frustration of an audience who feels baited. As mentioned before, if all of this is just a lead-up to Supercorp actually being Endgame, or being an extremely slow burn over five years, it's all clearly already built into the fabric of the show. All they have to do is make it happen. The next thing I want to address is the online support for Supercorp. Now, I'm not talking about the thousands of fans who want them to be together. I'm talking about the numerous news articles, tweets from famous writers and creators, and also from the cast themselves. A fan on Twitter, Targaryen Halsey, aka Victoria, has been updating a thread with articles about or mentioning Supercorp since 2017. There are over 200 articles in that thread. Supercorp was even featured in the New York Times, which is the only time Supergirl has ever been mentioned in that newspaper. And ever since season 6 was announced to be the last season, even more articles have come out saying that Supercorp should happen. There isn't just support from members of the media, there's also been support from the cast themselves. Katie McGraw is the most vocal, often getting asked about Supercorp in interviews and ultimately establishing that she's honored, that people take so much from the work she does, and that Supergirl belongs to the fans as soon as it hits the airwaves. Katie has signed things like Go Team Supercorp on posters or Mine XX on a Supergirl Funko completely unprovoked. Melissa Benoist has supported Supercorp as well. 
even being the first to tell Katie about Supercorp during season two in the first place. She signed numerous Supercorp fan art pieces, edits, and has even signed the Supercorp zine, which she also owns as well. Melissa has always avoided shipping discourse, even going so far during an interview for the musical crossover to sidestep a question asking if she is a fan of Cara and Monel as a couple, and simply answering, I'm a fan of Cara being happy. It makes her support for Supercorp all that much more impactful. Kyler Lee has also acknowledged Supercorp in a positive way before, during fan interactions where she calls the ship by name, and also spoke about it at Klexicon. Jesse Rath has posted Supercorp fan art on his Instagram stories before. Jean Cryer is notorious for liking Supercorp posts on Twitter. The only cast members who were ever not supportive of Supercorp are pretty much gone from the show. And I'll spare y'all the SDCC 2017 flashbacks. Besides just the cast, many other prominent creators have shown their support for Supercorp. Uh, a woman involved in Xena Warrior Princess has tweeted about Supercorp. Emily Andres, known for Winona Urban Lost Girl, has shown her support. Noelle Stevenson, creator of She-Ra on Netflix, has shown their support, and many more. There are also two prominent comic artists who consistently draw for Supercorp. One being, and I'm so, so sorry about the butchering of this name, Evany Borniakov? who is currently working on Dead Day for Aftershock Comics, and Otto Schmidt, who is best known for his work on Green Arrow Rebirth, being the one who designed the new Green Arrow suit to match season four of Arrow's suit. Otto Schmidt has been drawing Supercorp since 2017, and for him to be a prominent artist affiliated with DC Comics speaks volumes for the popularity of Supercorp and also the reach it has had. Borniakov has only recently started doing Supercorp fan art, but the love from another prominent comic artist is so appreciated and just amplifies Supercorp's place in our pop culture. Speaking of prominent people in DC Comics, let's talk about Kevin Smith. During SDCC 2019, Kevin Smith hosted the IMDb boat, as he usually does, and interviewed many casts throughout the day. These interviews are vetted and checked over by reps for the CW before they happen, meaning that no question goes through that isn't approved by the CW or Supergirl showrunners slash PR people. During this interview, Kevin was talking to Katie about Lena and said, I know there are two parts of fandom. Mm -hmm. There's one part of fandom that's like, let's see her go Lex. And then there's another part they're like, let's see them kiss. So, <laughs> super corp side of it. So This question I, stunned me at the time, since I was shocked he was allowed to mention Supercorp. If you look at other shows like The Flash, they allow questions about Snowberry, the ship of Caitlin Snow and Barry Allen, but have always struck it down. Supergirl, however, has never actually said that Supercorp can't or won't happen. It's always been an ambiguous answer, which puts it into the category of queerbait. Them even allowing the question, yet not striking it down, just shows that this is either bait or, again, the longest slow burn ever. There's even more support still from Kevin Smith, who, at the beginning of season five, tweeted that the premiere was the closest that they've come to exploring hashtag Supercorp. Now, for the people who say that Supercorp shippers are delusional or are reading too much into things, would you say Smith is doing the same? Kevin Smith, a well-respected member of the comic world, a man who has directed an episode of Supergirl every season, a man who has directed movies, a man who is, has such an intimate relationship with each of the Arrowverse shows, is he delusional? Is he reading too much into it? 
Then, the real kicker, Warner's affiliates have posted about Supercorp numerous times. At Warner Channel BR and at Warner Channel LA have each posted with the Supercorp hashtag when promoting the show Supergirl. These accounts are official accounts that are directly related to Warner Brothers and the CW. These are the accounts for the channels that air the CW's programs in both Brazil and Latin America. If they were invested in not queerbaiting, they wouldn't allow their affiliates to use these hashtags. In fact, their affiliates using these hashtags just goes to show that they know Supercorp brings engagement. Supercorp brings likes, retweets, streams, and overall attention to the show. That's what Queerbait is about. Dragging along queer fans with ambiguous answers and continued hints just to keep them watching and use them for viewership while not actually fulfilling those unspoken promises and never intending to do so. This brings me to my conclusion. Over the past four seasons of Supergirl, the showrunners and writers have built something special. Whether it was intentional or not, the writers have crafted a relationship between Kara and Lena that is reminiscent of Clois, West Allen, Olicity, and so many other iconic DC couples that we've seen on screen. With this upcoming season being the last, the showrunners of Supergirl, Jessica Queller and Robert Rovner, the executive producers, Greg Berlanti and Sarah Schechter, and the head of the CW, Mark Pedowitz, have an opportunity to finish off a groundbreaking show with a groundbreaking ending. By choosing to make Supercorp canon, they would be essentially putting their show into a hall of fame that exists amongst LGBT shows, especially with LGBT leads, and ensuring that it will be remembered for years to come. Like I said before, they can make history by being the first of any CW show to have exactly half of their series regulars be LGBT. How incredible would that be? Today, I have objectively presented many facts and comparisons. I presented parallels, romantic tropes, the widespread support for Supercorp, and much more. And I believe these things are reason enough to pull the trigger and make Supercorp endgame. With this last season, I implore that the Supergirl writers deliver on what was built into the show by the creators themselves and fully commit to its huge LGBT following and make Supercorp canon. With only 20 episodes left to go, I can't imagine them going to waste on building up a relationship with William or insisting again and again that Supercorp are only friends when it could be used to fill the culmination of five seasons of friendship and heartbreak and turn that into an ultimate love story. After all, with the show's 100th episode, they cemented that the relationship she shares with Lena is important enough to dedicate their special celebratory episode to it. They could have had it about Kara and Alex, Kara and John, Kara and the Super Friends, but they chose to make it about Kara and Lena. The stage is set. The threads have been laid. Make it happen. Thank you so much for listening. I want to give a special thanks to Eliana and Leilu Allen for all their wonderful help on this episode. Eliana for proofreading my 20-page script, and Lee for her extremely helpful folder of parallels and resources. I couldn't have done it without their help. Let me know what you think in the comments below, or tweet me at TelevisedPod and let me know there. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, rate, do all the things. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye.